Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Deep State Radio, a special weekend edition as we look back on a momentous week uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., we are really happy to be joined here um, by uh, Sarah Kenzior of Gaslit Nation and Andrea Chalupa of Gaslit Nation, uh, one of the great podcasts that has been out there and on the story of not just Donald Trump, but the, the, the origins and the nature, the real nature of the corruption um, that, uh, that has manifested itself in so many ways in this administration. We're also happy to have them here because they're going to be joining us in something very new and exciting, which is an event that we'll be doing in Washington, D.C. on May 21st, which um, we are calling Washington Today Forum uh, because that's very bland, but it, but the initials spell WTF. Um, and... Uh, and we're doing it at the Warner Theater in Washington, very glamorous location, with perhaps 15 or 20 other podcasts. And each of the panels will be a podcast in and of itself. Uh, and, and Sarah and Andrea will host one of those. And, and so you'll be able to go and spend time listening to some of the most influential people in Washington with some of the most influential new media uh, people in Washington, podcasters. Um, there'll be general admission tickets. There'll also be some VIP tickets that'll give people a chance to actually meet some of the podcast people, spend some time with them, and so forth. Uh, it's, it's it's super exciting, uh, and uh, we will uh, at the end of the podcast talk a little bit more about this. And obviously, we'll talk about it uh, as as we go. But this has been a shocking, appalling, uh, disappointing, um, unsurprising uh, week in, in Washington uh, that began with closing arguments in the uh, impeachment process. Let's not call it a trial since it was not really a trial uh, that McConnell cooked up and ended on Friday afternoon with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman being escorted out of the White House, being fired uh, six months before the end of his uh, tour of duty, um, because in the country that we live in today, heroes are punished and war criminals are celebrated. Um, Sarah. Talk to me about your thoughts on the week, and then I'll, I'll turn to you, Andrea. 
Um, I mean, it was what you said. It. I'm glad you said it was both unsurprising and disappointing um, because it's that confluence of emotions, I think, that's making it difficult for people to process what's occurred. I mean, it was a, con- it was a confirmation of our worst suspicions, our worst predictions about where this, a gover- this government was going to go, which is an authoritarian kleptocracy. That's what Trump set out to build uh, with the help of people like Bannon and the help of people behind the scenes like Manafort and Stone and their overseas contacts. That's what they've structured over the last few years uh, as various institutions people failed to stop them and they purged agencies and they packed courts and we knew that this was coming we knew that there was going to be a sham trial we knew there was going to be an acquittal and we knew they were going to persecute the witnesses and the whistleblowers and the people who tried to stop this uh that doesn't make it any easier to watch uh that doesn't make it any less painful to experience uh as an american especially because we know um you know w- what is coming in the future that they're going to be emboldened uh you know which they kind of would have anyway uh they're going to keep going down this direction of persecuting innocent americans who dare to speak out and, uh, you know, we also had the chaos of the Iowa caucus and a kind of fractured opposition. But honestly, it's the, you know, what I've been saying all along, the transnational crime syndicate masquerading as a government. That is the crisis, uh, you know, from which all these other, um, you know, problems kind of emit. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that's striking um, to those who have listened to you guys uh, and or followed this by other means and who have recognized for a long time that this idea of a transnational crime syndicate doing a kind of hostile takeover of the U.S. government was underway is just how successful they've been at just how successful they have been at um, mooting or negating the, the the mechanisms within the United States government that are supposed to protect us from this. And Andrea, one of the things that strikes me is we come to the end of this week and the message of the week is there's no stopping them. I mean, within hours of the impeachment verdict, we discovered that Bill Barr said um, any investigation of any presidential or vice presidential candidate or the staff has to be approved by him. And we've also subsequently learned that a substantial number of the Mueller cases that were underway were shut down by him. That, you know, between McConnell and Barr, Donald Trump has got carte blanche right now. Yeah. I mean, there's no sugarcoating it, is there? It's as bad as we think it is for anybody who's paying attention. And uh, certainly Bill Barr is going to go down in history as one of the greatest threats that this country has ever faced. I mean, um, so Mueller decentralized his investigation by farming out what was left, including to the Southern District of New York. But ultimately, that all comes back to Barr. And Barr can meddle, he can slow down, he can block as much as he wants and and prevent the truth coming out. And we've already seen how vindictive and vicious they've been 
to anybody that's leaked and the expensive inve- investigations. When I mean expensive, when they go after Andrew McCabe, yes, he crowdfunded a bunch of money for his legal war chest, but, but what they're ultimately trying to do to anybody they go after is to try to hurt them so deeply financially with these investigations because you have to lawyer up when they come after you. And then on top of that, they're trying to humiliate you. And that's not just to get back at you for daring to do your job, to hold them accountable as you were appointed to do in that institution, right? Our institutions are supposed to ultimately protect us. But it's also to send a really chilling warning sign to anybody else who's left, who is left, who would dare to leak to the press about what Barr is doing, what Trump and his family are doing, and so forth. So it is very much as bad as we think it is. And what this means for us moving forward, it's, it's gut-wrenching. It's, it's, people might be making plans to move out of the country for their children's sake. Um, but ultimately, I do want to add, as dark as this is, if, if you look back onto how the Russian resistance has navigated what they're up against, what they have turned into an art form is throwing the Russian constitution and throwing the Russian constitution in Putin's face. And so I think what I'm saying is it's never been a sexier time right now in America to, to know the law, to become a lawyer, to understand how to navigate the process of how our government works, because we need people desperately to run for office, to stand up for those who need a voice and so forth, because there is a way for us to get past this as a country. And if we do fall into despair and cynicism, that's what they're counting on. So we actually, now is the time to really redouble our efforts and just accept that if, if we slow down now, that's just giving them a greater advantage. But Sarah, you know, one of the things that we've seen is, well, we saw Maria Ivanovich sort of getting forced out. We've seen Vindman uh, go through what he has gone through today. We've seen uh, the bar statement this week. We saw a really kind of astonishingly petty um, move by the government to shut down the global entry program in New York State because Trump doesn't like New York State very much. Um, and, you you know, you see this kind of monster unleashed. Um, no hint of remorse, um, you know, despite being the first American president to ever be impeached in his first term despite being the first American president ever to have a member of his own party vote for his removal. Um, you know, he's, he seems uh, empowered. And it's, it strikes me that one of the ways that this is going to manifest itself, because it's an existentially important issue for him, is in stealing another election. Because uh-huh. if, 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 in fact, Trump loses the legal consequences for him and those around him could be massive. Do you share that concern? But if he loses, yes. I mean, that's one of the reasons that he wanted to run for office. That's one of the, that is one of the main reasons he wants to remain in office is to protect himself from prosecution and to hold on to the money that he and his family have been making uh, through these kleptocratic endeavors and through white collar organized crime that he's been involved with for decades. And so one thing I've been warning about from the moment that he was elected in 2016 is once he gets in, it's going to be very hard to get him out. And that's true 
true of any aspiring autocrat. And that's why I was saying, you know, you need to watch the typical moves that somebody who wants a dictatorship is going to make, which include purging uh, courts and packing them with lackeys, getting rid of people in various agencies that are, you know, able to understand him, who know his history, who know about the crimes he's committed in the past. And that includes anyone from, you know, Lisa Page, who is a Russian mafia expert, to, uh, you know, someone like Marie Ivanovich, who is a firsthand witness, uh, you know, to what he was doing in Ukraine, uh, both of whom notably have become targets, along with so many other civil servants and journalists and others who have witnessed uh, the dismantling of government uh, for the purpose of continuing crime. And, you know, I, I think if he's able to, if he actually does leave, then I guess I suppose he would be in some danger of prosecution. Uh, but what concerns me is that we we have a transnational apparatus backing him. None of this is limited to like what the D.C. Circuit Court thinks or like what the New York AG thinks. There are people behind him who are willing to protect him in all kinds of ways, you know, through blackmail, through bribes, through threats to entire nations. I think unless that apparatus is examined closely and broken down, uh, you know, and really taken on firsthand, then, I mean, unless that happens, I don't know what we're going to do. So I think a lot of our role, like as journalists, is to just document this. You know, the media is stuck in the horse race. They're stuck on a lot of superficial concerns. Uh, but there are people out there with expertise on this subject. And I hope that those have been purged from government, people like Yovanovitch or Vindman, I hope they continue speaking out. You know, I thought Yovanovitch's op-ed this week, you know, was very powerful. And they're the sorts of folks that we need to hear from now. So at this point in our show, we are joined by another guest, somebody else who is also going to be participating in our WTF event on May 21st, and that's A.G., who is the host of Moeshi Wrote and the Daily Beans. Uh, hi, A.G., welcome to the show. Hey, hey, and I hear that we're joined by Sarah and Andrea from Gaslit Nation. Are, are they on the line, too? We are on they the are line, on yes. Hello. Hello. On the I haven't line. spoken to you in a while. How are you guys? It's so good to speak to you again. We're hanging in there. I think everyone on this episode is hanging <laughs> in there. So, <laughs> Hanging in there is probably the best answer to that question. Yeah, no, it's been pretty dark so far. I've got to be honest with you. We've been sort of going through where we are, what this week means. Um, uh, and the sort of portentous actions by Trump and company that suggest that now on the other side of impeachment, what we're going to get is um, um, more vicious, unleashed, you know, crime. But, you know... Uh, you, you you may have another view. You may think everything's great. AG, tell us, no, tell us what your no. view is. No, I don't. My my concern more so with than my concern with uh, Trump's actions with Ukraine or anything that he was impeached for uh, and eventually acquitted for. My concerns are with the Department of Justice and Bill Barr, who has now decided that he is the only one who can you know, provide express written consent if uh, 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 someone who's running for president or vice president can be investigated for anything. It's, he has now put out a memo saying he is in charge of deciding that and uh, that he's promoted uh, Timothy Shea to take over the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C., kicking Jesse Liu out. And that's going to be, you know, that's 
looking over the Flynn case and uh, everything that Mueller handed off, probably that didn't go to the Southern District of New York. And and I am I am frankly terrified about our state of the Department of Justice right now. That is my big problem. Well, um, uh, Sarah, Andrea, you know, either one of you chime in on this, but it, it, it seems to me that we don't actually have a Department of Justice when it comes to the president of the United States right now. We have uh, um, uh, an institutional apparatus to protect him and enable him. Um, and and that includes both the uh, DOJ, but it also includes you know the United States Senate at this point. I mean, we've really perverted the purpose of these institutions in a way that I don't think anybody ever you know imagined possible. So, Sarah, yeah, I imagined it as possible with with Bill Barr, because Bill Barr was the Iran-Contra cleanup guy. You know, you could go back to 1992 and find essays by William Sapphire, a fellow conservative, maligning Bill Barr, saying, you know, Bill Barr is out of control. Bill Barr is a hired help for dirty Republicans to clean up their business. And so when he was announced as the AG, that's when I knew that the Mueller probe uh, was, you know, going to collapse under Barr's weight, and I already had problems with the way that that probe was conducted, but this is literally like Bill Barr's whole lifestyle. He doesn't do anything else, and now that he's completely unchecked, he's supported by Trump, he's supported by the institutional apparatus of a Republican Senate that is terrified of him, that won't stand up to him, uh, you know, then he's going to continue to abuse his power, and I think an investigation of Bill Barr is necessary of everything that he was doing between prior administrations of what he knows about, for example, the Jeffrey Epstein case, about his own uh, financial ties to various autocratic governments and entities, and they should also be pushing to impeach him. You know, this is where a lot of the political pressure of House committees uh, should go. You know, it doesn't just end with Trump's impeachment and then a sham Senate trial. These people are still there. They're still being supported by our tax dollars. They're still working actively against the American public, against the Constitution, against the concept of justice. So they should be held accountable. And I hope that people, you know, pursue that with all the force that they have. Let's take a minute for a word from a new sponsor that we're really proud to have join us, C-SPAN. This election season, go deep, direct, and unfiltered. C-SPAN's campaign 2020 differs from other political coverage for one simple reason. It's C-SPAN. C-SPAN brings you an unfiltered view of politics so you can see the biggest picture for yourself and make up your own mind. On C-SPAN, you'll find depth, uninterrupted coverage of the candidates, the issues, and the events that are steering us to Election Day. Follow the campaigns and watch the town halls, the rallies, and more live as they happen on C-SPAN, and then dig even deeper and search the candidates' positions over the years using C-SPAN's online archive uh, with more than 250,000 hours of video. Get an unfiltered view of politics with C-SPAN's Campaign 2020 on the C-SPAN television networks, on the C-SPAN app, or online at cspan.org, all brought to you as a public service by your television provider. 
Make Up Your Own Mind with C-SPAN's Campaign 2020. Okay, so what what can we hope for? Well, I have Andrea, to tell you. That, yeah, or, yeah, go on. Um, first of all, big ups to Gaslit Nation for calling the Bill Barr debacle early and often because I was one of the people like, um, for example, Chuck Rosenberg and a couple of other, you know, friends of mine who are former U.S. attorneys and former prosecutors saying, oh, you know what, he, he's a, he's a, he's been around, hopefully he'll bring some sanity to this uh, situation and everything will be okay. And maybe this is a good thing, like sort of like how we felt about John Kelly or Mattis or Bolton, like, yes, total people like we hate these guys like with a burning fire of a thousand suns but at least they're old school or you know bring some values to the situation or something and um uh the girls from gaslit the, the women at gaslit were like no ag no listen to us it's bad it's bad it's bad and i'm like oh come on give them a chance and man they were right they were so right you guys you guys called it Unfortunately, yeah, the whole thing is strange. It's like Bill Barr, I would say, is the Dick Cheney of the Trump White House. He just carries that heartlessness of just not caring and just cashing in what he can while he can and not worrying too much about his legacy whatsoever. And that's how he's always operated. He is just um, a mafia lawyer at this point. And um, in terms of the hope question droll compared to like dick cheney no, like, i mean I'll give dick cheney made it compared to what's dick going on cheney, right now. no let's remind ourselves dick cheney made a fortune uh, halliburton made a fortune for the hundreds of thousands of civilians that were killed in iraq by our government by us by bush's war based on lies so i i think i think there's still a competition going between uh george w bush's white house and trump's of, of which one has been most destructive let's not forget i mean bush's wars and least right, isis yep. and and all this destabilization that we're still dealing with and all of that um so i think in terms of the hope right because we have to stay focused on that because if you if you focus on the hope if you if you search for it and find it in any situation that is what's going to give you that little bit of energy to get out of bed and continue fighting and and show up to events that you otherwise might not have the energy to show up for. And that's what's really critical right now in this stage of things. Um, I, I work closely with, no, let me just tell you, let me, let me tell you, I work closely with uh, Magdeshka Holland, the great uh, European filmmaker. Um, she did a brilliant film called Burning Bush about a young Czech student that set himself on fire to protest the normalization that set in after the Soviets invaded Czechoslovakia. And so that's what we're really up against is that normalization that is sitting in, we're, we're, we're setting in where people just submit and they just accept this as a new normal. And so it's up to each of us to take our little corner of the solution, whatever that is. For, for us, we have podcasts that, that continue these conversations and help people stay engaged but in addition to that, like Sarah and I, for instance, on Gaslit Nation, we came out and endorsed Elizabeth Warren, and we're and we're compl- always cutting through the misogyny and the noise in the media to point out how Warren is the most qualified to take on this widespread corruption, and she has specific plans on how to do that. 
so, and we're staying engaged on all these different fronts and trying to battle this, this nightmare that we're up against. So I think it's important for each of us to find our own hope to, and to refuse, refuse to abandon each other right now in this critical moment, because by submitting, by accepting normalization, that is how they win. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's true. Do you think, A.G., that there's anything that institutionally can be done in the course of the next eight months by the House? Um, or do you think the you know end of the impeachment process is going to be the end of their doing aggressive oversight? No, it's, it's not the end, and it shouldn't be the end. I, I voted them in in 2018. We all voted them in in 2018 to, to continue this anti-corruption uh, investigations. And, and, and so, no, they should keep looking into this. And we will keep getting evidence. It will start coming. Because this isn't the Mueller investigation, right? Because in the Mueller investigation, everything was very tight-lipped and everything was under seal and everything was quiet and kept, you know, kept under seal um, for whatever purposes. And that's not this. This is everything's out in the open and everything can be put out. And and we're still getting from journalists, from incredible, intrepid journalists, we're getting now all of our FOIA requests, all of our documents and emails, all the Mueller 302s, um, and everything's coming out before the courts have even decided to hand this stuff over to Congress, which they should have done last year. It should have been a three-week decision. I can't believe it's still in the courts, but anyway, it is. And you're right, uh, uh, Andrea, and um, we, we have to, like, something that really stuck with me when I had um, the women from Gaslit on my show was they said, we... No one is saving us. Mueller's not saving us. Um, the, the Congress isn't saving us. Adam Schiff isn't going to save us. We are our own heroes. We are the Mullers we've been waiting for. Like, it's us. And that is real. And we haven't endorsed anybody because we're doing a vote move no matter who. Me, personally, I've endorsed personally Elizabeth Warren as well because she is the only one who has committed to prosecuting this criminal enterprise mm-hmm. of the of the Trump administration. She's the only one, and I do not want I do not want the the old Obama shtick where like we have to be together and move forward and don't worry mm-hmm. about the past and here we go. No, f that. We are prosecuting these criminals, and she is the only one who has a plan, and that is why I'm I'm endorsing her for that. But. Uh, and I think she'll win. I do think she'll win. Um, I think she'll be our nominee, and I think she'll make an incredible president, and I'll be proud to vote for her. But I will be proud to vote for any Democrat uh, at this point. But you guys were you guys were so right. You were right on the money every single time. And here's me, like, oh, but come on, it'll be good. It'll be okay. <laughs> you guys were like, no, H-E. You're, like, shaking me like the – like the lady in airplane where they're lined up to smack her in the face. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> um, oh, man. Well, go, yeah, go ahead. No, I just think this whole thing is, um, it, 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 I keep thinking about Ukraine because we all keep thinking about Ukraine because it's been this um, Ukrainianization of American politics. Um, so it's Ukrainians 
overthrew Yanukovych not once but twice. There was the 2004 Orange Revolution where Yanukovych tried to steal the election, and Ukrainians lived out in the freezing cold for, for, for a very long time until that election results overthrown and a new election was called and so forth. And then they overthrew him again in, in 2014. And so I just keep thinking, you know, if Ukrainians can keep fighting these guys, so can we. We have far more resources and far more funding and organizations and things set up already. So it's, I, I don't think Americans are at the point yet where we can afford uh, to feel sorry for ourselves. It's a very privileged attitude. I think if Ukrainians themselves on the ground had the resources that we currently do to fight this corruption, they would be they would be so excited and they'd be so they would just be steamrolling ahead. Um, so just we have to count our blessings here and recognize just all the extraordinary resources that we do have, including yeah. um, the massive amount of great organizations from ACLU um, to public citizen and so many others that are so, so many. And um, so and just not take that for granted. Like yeah. everyone, everyone. You're so mm-hmm. right. And all You're the great so independent right media. So I think I think we have to really take stock and recognize that we're extraordinarily privileged, and that includes how many phenomenal opposition figures that we do have, not just the ones who are running for office, but the ones that are surrogates who are out there. And so I think we had such a – I really do think we do have a very strong fighting chance to get ourselves out of this black hole, and I think – from from looking very closely on the ground in Ukraine and knowing civic organize, organizers and independent journalists there, I can tell you, they would be so thrilled to be to have the problems we have as a country. They would be absolutely thrilled. And um, I I it, I think it's very it's actually very awkward for me to try to like complain about the situation that we're here in the U.S. because some, sometimes they look at me and go, really. And so I think we have to just just like take stock of what we have and just keep fighting and just and recognize how much that yes. The clock is ticking. We don't have as much time as we think, but it's not over for us, not yet. I'm so glad that you think that. And and you're right. And I wish that we, I hope in my heart of hearts that we don't have to go through what Ukraine has gone through to learn our lesson about disinformation and, uh, you know, the corrupt um, alt-right presidencies. I hope we don't have to go through what Ukraine has gone through to learn that lesson. I hope we can learn it. We have all of the evidence right in front of our eyes to learn it, and I hope that we do. You know, I also hope, you know, just picking up on a point you made earlier, A.G., that, you know, we, I think it was you that made the point, but we would be making a terrible mistake if we got to 2020 and a Democratic president won, and um, we said, let bygones be bygones, and there was no mm-hmm. accountability for this. Um, yeah. And it would be a terrible mistake because the crimes have been great crimes. But as you know, all of you have been pointing out, but I, I, I in, in particular, I think Sarah and Andrea have been really hammering this home. You know, there, there is a, a you know, I'm a national security guy, and when I look at it, I see a Russian systematic initiative to undermine the Western alliance that included Brexit, that included what's going on in U.S. now with with Trump, that had manifested itself in France and in Italy and in Poland and in Hungary and in 
Austria and um, uh, to lesser extent in Germany. Um, and that this alternative campaign against the West has been the most successful initiative the Russians have ever run um, in, you know, since the end of the Second World War in weakening the West. And if we just sort of divert our eyes and say, well, that was just Trump, or we, we, we just say we want to move beyond it, then the, the, the risk is there that, that you know, it will continue and, 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 and worsen. Um, I don't know. Sarah, what do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, and the danger is there in November in that sense, regardless who wins. You know, if it's Trump, you get further autocratic consolidation. Uh, if it's not him, and by some miracles, the person uh, actually is take office and Trump doesn't just refuse to leave, they're going to be left with the disaster that not just this administration, but also prior administrations have left behind in terms of national security, ranging from just the negligence, I would say, of uh, the Obama administration and its second term, the destructiveness of George W. Bush's term, and of course, Trump, you know, which has gutted the State Department, gutted our intelligence agencies, given God knows how many state secrets to hostile regimes, partnered with autocrats around the world. Uh, we have no cyber security. We have horrible nuclear policies. We've uh, shattered our relationships with partners uh, in North America and in Europe and uh, basically all over the world. No one trusts this administration, uh, and for very good reason. And it's, it's going to take time if we are able to rebuild that. It's going to take time and humility and resilience and, you know, I, I don't expect this, quite honestly, to be resolved within my lifetime. And, I, you know, I'm not sure it's going to be resolved in, like, my children's lifetime, assuming that, you know, climate change doesn't uh, make that a, a more abrupt ending. But basically, I'm saying this is a long-haul fight. And when you're in a long-haul fight, you dig deep at the roots of how we got there, which is why I always encourage people to look at this historically, look at what all these characters involved in this, people like Bill Barr, were doing for real, like in previous administrations. Because this little shiny DC gloss got placed over everybody, this gloss of prestige and institutionalism, and it caused people to not be able to see what's right in front of them. And the only thing I've ever really agreed with Bill Barr on is when they asked him, you know, what about your legacy? And he was basically like, you know, I couldn't care less. I'm going to die. Honestly, that's the attitude to go in this with. Like, screw legacy, <laughs> screw prestige, screw playing nice. Like, just be honest, work hard, do the right thing, know your values, and don't worry so much about what people think of you. If everyone who kind of suspected what was going on due to their own expertise and background had spoken up without fear of being labeled alarmist or hysterical, we may have been in a better place right now. And now, yes, people are speaking up. So welcome to the club. Welcome to the alarmist club. Yeah, because but, that, uh, you know, uh, Andre, I have to ask you guys <clears throat> what you thought of Mitt Romney's speech in, in, in along these lines. I have to know what you thought of it. I mean, it was fine. I'm obviously glad he voted to convict. What bothered me was the reaction because there were so many people who just from jump 
were calling out Trump on his crap. Like people like Maxine Waters, who wanted to get rid of him, who called him a Russian asset, who said he was committing crimes, and who, where, where are the accolades for her? You know, and I don't think, again, this is not about accolades. This is not about getting people's approval. Like all that stuff shouldn't matter so much <laughs> for Mitt Romney to be treated like some sort of saint for doing his job, I think is ridiculous, but I'd still rather have him do his job than not do his job. It's a good speech, though. I mean, like, it's a pretty good speech. I mean, you know, the, uh, like, I'm an atheist. Set aside the God stuff for a second. Yeah, I was really impressed with what he had to say. I'm sad that it didn't sway any other senators at all. Uh, I thought that that was going to be his job. His job was to sway other senators. Uh, but uh, I, I thought it was, I, I was like, hey, all right. Now, don't get me wrong again. Never have I liked this guy. I always disagree with him. On everything, but <clears throat> I thought that speech was pretty good. Yeah, it definitely was pretty good. Now we're sort of coming to the end of our time here. I do want to take a minute or two to talk about this event that we're doing, um, but I but I but I want to preface it by saying um, that one of the reasons we decided to do it is that I think the work that you guys are doing and, and some other important podcasts are doing is transforming the way the media works. It's transforming the way people relate to the news, to advice. Um, and, you know, I've noticed it even in, in what we do. You know, if we do two, three podcasts a week, and people listen to them from beginning to end. The average person listens for a couple of hours a week. When I was running foreign policy, we would, you know, measure the average visit, and it was about a minute and a half. The average visit to the New York Times is about a minute and a half. People establish a relationship with people they can trust via podcasts. Um, and it becomes a much more central way for them to um, consume information and also to see the Times. And, and, and frankly, we have a lot of great podcasts who are going to participate in this thing. One of the reasons I wanted to get you guys on is that I think what Gaslit Nation has done and what Mueller, she wrote, has done are the perfect examples. And I really am not trying to flatter you. I think you guys are heroes in this battle um, because the mainstream media, to use a term that the right likes to use, is superficial. Um, it's uh, focused not on the truth, but on an on a illusory uh, concept of balance which allows lies to balance out the truth, fictions to balance our reality. And, and, and what's happened in the course of the past few years, largely because this Trump thing has gotten under people's skin, is that they found refuge and, and, and kind of intellectual nourishment from the work that you guys do. So before I get into this, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that. Okay. Um, now, thank you, know, you we'll, David. We'll, we appreciate what you're doing. Well, um, you know, we we all seem to be fairly aligned. But um, having said that, what we're going to do is on May 21st, we are going to have I um, I don't know what it's going to end up being 15, 16, 17 podcasts participating. Uh, it'll be a day long event. Uh, you guys will each be hosting one of the panels, which will be a podcast of yours. Go out to your podcast audience. 
we will try to take some summaries of the whole event and send it out to all the audiences. And the other podcasts that will be involved include uh, Joe Lockhart's po podcast, Words Matter, um, uh, Lawfare, uh, Just Security, which is not a podcast, but is a website that is playing an important role in all of this, uh, Harry Lippman's Talking Feds, um, uh, and um, a host of others. And, you know, I, I just, one of the reasons we're doing it is that I think the way people consume information about Washington, the way the polity works today is different, and it's been changed by this new media. And so people could go, see the podcasts in action, talk to the people, pose questions, interact, and appreciate this. Uh, and I think putting it in some place like the Warner Theater, which is a kind of a you know, fun, fun, glamorous place in, in the, right in the middle of downtown D.C., um, a couple of blocks from the White House. Um, I think it'll make it cool. And, and we really want oh, to encourage everybody. Go, go ahead. I'm gonna and, and I have to tell you, when we do our, when we do our live shows, the, the energy in the room, the people that are there, they're ready uh, to fight this fight. They've been fighting the fight. And, and it's just, I think it's going to be astounding and wonderful to be among that like group of like-minded people who are just so ready to to take this on and to to you know to care about what's happening yeah it recharges you i did the i did the live show with ag for Mueller. she wrote when when they were in brooklyn and i walked away like completely ready for the fight yeah, and well, we have we, I, friends out of it, too. That one guy who asked you a question, I was like, I need to know that guy. Now we're, like, really good friends. And so... Are you serious? It, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember this? Yeah. We had some yeah. really good uh, participation. And I and I really just... You're right. It recharges you. I love it. And I can't wait for this, David. I'm so glad you're doing it. Well, I think it's going to be super cool. I'm really glad you guys are doing it. People should go to... Um, uh, if you go to the dsrnetwork.com, you can click on uh, the registration button. We'll send you information about it. Uh, over the next couple of days, we'll give you the places you can go to buy a ticket. Um, and it's going to be fun, too. I mean, it's going to be really interesting, and there'll be a variety of different chances to interact, not just with the podcast people, but with leaders in Washington who are going to participate in the discussions. Um, but uh, I don't know. There'll be like food trucks and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, it'll, it'll be, it'll and swag and, you know, t-shirts and all sorts of other things. So I think it's going to be very cool. And I think it's going to sell out really fast. So I strongly encourage you to go to the dsrnetwork.com. Uh, and our folks will get in touch with each of the podcasts so you guys can uh, direct them to the place to buy the tickets. And, any podcast that participates, the participants will, you know, get a discount and get first come, first serve. So uh, everybody will benefit from this. And we really encourage you to go out and do it. Um, and between now and May 21st, um, listen to uh, Mueller, she wrote, listen to Gaslit Nation. You know, if you have time between all of that, listen to Deep State Radio. And... Uh, um, <laughs> Daily Dan, Exactly. Um, and, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, come back each week and then we'll, we'll, we'll see you, um, in May. So 
Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, AG. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, and we'll, we'll see you in a couple of months.